Blog Talk Radio. One of the uh, cornerstones of the professional services community, that is industries such as law and banking, insurance, financial planning, is the sharing of information, resources, uh, even referrals among the various professions. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and on today's Chicago's Legal Latte, we're going to get an update from a member of the legal profession on some regulatory changes that will impact those in the financial planning and investment communities. Uh, very pleased to welcome a new contributor to our series today, Attorney Samantha Bonamassa. Samantha currently serving as uh, an of counsel role at LaFell Law on matters of securities regulation and law, and we're going to learn a great deal from her today. So, Samantha, uh, thanks for taking the time. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So today uh, I want to discuss some recent changes to regulations for investment advisors and brokers. Uh, Before we get into detail, the changes come from the Securities Exchange Commission. Can you explain the role of the SEC relative to investment advisors? Of course, yeah. The SEC is, as you said, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, and they're an independent agency of the federal government. So their purpose, broadly speaking, is to enforce and regulate a variety of federal securities laws. And most recently, especially with the new chairman, um, there has been an especially heavy focus on the long-term interests of America's retail investors. And when you say retail investor, what does that mean? So a retail investor, for, for much of these purposes, is basically any natural person or the legal representative of them who seeks to receive money or services for either personal, familial, or household purposes. So the day-to-day American investing. Okay. All right. So um, as we talk about these changes today, uh, we're going to highlight some some things that were proposed uh, April of, of 2018, and I think were just enacted uh, this, this past month in June by the SEC. Uh, and we'll talk about a few specific items, but was there sort of an overall intent of, of that particular action, uh, sort of a, a, a objective they were trying to achieve overall? Yeah, actually. So the SEC has announced that they're basically rolling out what they call a Main Street investor education campaign. So basically the whole purpose of this final package of rules, amendments, and interpretations was to provide some protections and clarifications for the typical, you know, retail investor, so to speak, so that they can kind of compare the services of a broker-dealer versus an investment advisor and make an educated decision as to who they actually want to use and effectively compare the different firms and services that they offer. Um, So in in a more concise format, so just kind of certain clarification items and making sure that they're arming investors with the information that they need to make informed decisions moving forward. And as we go through this discussion, it, it sounds to me, if I understand it correctly, and, and you'll guide us through this, that while it impacts it, it helps the, the retail investor, the average investor, the, the onus, the changes really impact those uh, advisors and, and broker-dealers, and we'll talk about how it impacts them and the guidance you can give them. I think the first thing in this list was what's known as a client relationship summary or, or CRS. What, what can you tell us about that document? 
Yeah, of course. So the, the CRS of this rulemaking package is the most practical of the, and important of the documents that investment advisors and broker-dealers now have to complete. So it's a client relationship summary, abbreviated the form CRS, and registered investment advisors and broker-dealers now have to draft this disclosure document provided to all of their retail investors, and it includes pretty prescriptive information that summarizes certain information about the firm, such as the type of relationships and services the firm offers, fees and conflict information, uh, specifically whether any of the individuals at the financial firm have any legal or disciplinary history, and uh, ways to learn other information about the firm. So practically speaking, it's much of the same information that's located in other disclosure documents that these firms all complete, but this is paring it down in a very abbreviated, for investment advisors, two-page document, investment advisors, and if they're dually investment advisors and broker-dealers, they get four pages if they're talking about both of their services. But it's an abbreviated document, so it forces the retail investor to only have two to four pages to review in an effort that they'll actually review it. Uh, boy, you're leading me to a whole bunch of different questions here. I've got to keep track of them all now. So first of all, I, in terms of what you're describing with, with the, uh, the form itself, it, it, so it's not necessarily something new. It's more of a, a tweak and a focus of existing rules. Is that a fair interpretation? Yeah. So specifically for investment advisors, it takes the place of investment advisors as of now had two parts to their form ADV. Part one, which is biographical information, and part two, which is a, a more wordy explanation and in paragraph format and whatnot, and a bit longer. So for investment advisors, this now becomes part three of the Form ADB. So it's an additional filing, but keeps many of the same kind of updating and delivery requirements as the other two parts of the Form ADB. So it gets filed with those other parts on an annual basis. Um, and then for broker-dealers, it's filed as a new form because broker-dealers, um, and they'll be using WebCRD. So each group has a different website to use and kind of classifies it just a bit differently, but it's the same prescriptive document. And, and do both of these uh, groups, the advisors and the broker-dealers, uh, do they have uh, sort of annual obligations with regard to the SEC, certain filings and things they need to do, and would this then be part of that process? Exactly. So the, the Form ADD, for example, that is an at least annual filing due at the end of March every year, and then there are certain triggers that would require what's called an other-than-annual amendment. And so those same things now flow over to this new ADD Part 3. Um, and the SEC in its release has kind of included those, those requirements. And, you know, if something materially changes, then that, for example, has to be updated on the form CRS, ADD Part 3, you know, however you want to characterize it. It has a few names now. Mm -hmm. um, within 30 days of the material change, and then the firm is – has 60 days to communicate that change to retail investors, basically by delivering the revised version of the form. And, and as we look at the work you do, and I want to talk about that a little bit more today um, and focus our conversation, it, 
you know, it really sounds like we're we're targeting those on the professional side, the uh, advisors and the brokers. Um, before we get to the next step with them, I guess I would just ask you a simple question about the retail advisors because or the retail clients. It doesn't sound like there's any change to them other than you know a more perhaps a, a clearer definition of of who they might be working with, but. Uh, is it the bottom line here, if we want to give any advice to people on that side, is, hey, if you get this thing, at least read it so you know who you're dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. I'd sort of say for any retail investors, basically, practically speaking, you're right. This is conversations probably more geared towards the investment advisors and broker dealers because they have things that they practically need to implement and do. But for the retail investor, the result of this is just another disclosure document, but it is of such an abbreviated nature, and there are such specific requirements as far as it has to be in plain English, no legal jargon. There are guidelines that the SEC's put in place to try to kind of engage the retail investor to to review it. Like you said, that's practically speaking not a huge difference for them, just another two-page form amongst the many that they should be getting on an at least annual basis. Um, but yeah, it should be read. It's a, it's got the bulk of the important information. So, well, well let's talk about the the work you can do because it it's, it sounds as if, and I, for, from past conversations with some of your peers, you know, regulations, uh, the regulatory industry in this area is is pretty severe. Um, do you find your time then spent, yeah, perhaps in a condition like this where there are some changes? Uh, advising uh, the, those on the professional side as to how to stay compliant and make sure that they're doing all the right things to assist them through transitions like this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has turned into a, a new deliverable. So, you know, each of these forms at least has a bit of a heads up. They have a period, and it's in, in 2020, but to comply with it. So, absolutely, there will be a, a huge influx of clients that kind of, you know, this came from a very huge, you know, several hundred pages of information. So hmm. it seems like a lot to digest, and it's a requirement. But practically speaking, it's, yeah, it's definitely turned into another service offering, and luckily it's a bit of time. Now it needs to be completed between May 1, 2020 and June 30, 2020. So firms have a bit of time to get themselves in order and prepare for it. And, again, it's just another disclosure document, but with anything, yeah. it's another requirement. Got, got to stay on top of it. We've got about three or four minutes left today. I'm, I'm really enjoying the conversation as I'm joined by the first time uh, by attorney Samantha Bonamasso, uh, who currently serves uh, the folks at Lavelle Law in an of counsel role on matters of security regulation. Now, you can you can meet Samantha electronically by visiting LavelleLaw.com. You'll also see a, an article she wrote on this particular topic if you want to go into a little more detail. And, of course, while you're there, browse hundreds of other articles and podcasts on a number of different legal, legal topics from all the attorneys at Lavelle Law. Um, Samantha, in addition to the, to the CRS, the new rule also includes something related to um, regulation best interest or RBI. Is, is this something entirely new or is this another tweak? So th this is pretty much something entirely new. This has kind of clarified and revised the Typically, it was a suitability obligation that broker-dealers had with in making any recommendations for securities transactions. It has now been upgraded to a best interest standard of conduct. So this means that broker-dealers have to be more transparent. So when they're referencing themselves, they can't 
broadly reference themselves as an advisor unless they are truly a duly registered investment advisor broker dealer. And it ups their requirement about they, they're no longer able to place their interests ahead of the retail client. Actually, from this spurred uh, an interpretive release on that same subject that further clarifies, and that was specifically based out of comments to the Regulation BI proposal. So this is new. It doesn't have as many uh, practical applications. There's no new form, but there are items that now need to be in firms' compliance policies and procedures and items that can no longer be referenced within a broker-dealer's compliance policies and procedures. You, you mentioned that interpretive release. and. Um what, what should broker-dealers know? You, you have referred to a solely incidental prong of that uh, registration, advisement, uh, or registration as an advisement investor. Can you kind of tie it together for me here and explain what the change is there? Yeah, so basically as far as the solely incidental prong, it, the it provide, the interpretation provides examples where a broker-dealer items that would be consistent with a broker-dealer having services be solely incidental to their conduct. So, I mean, specifically, it's a new interpretation of part of the Advisors Act. So it now excludes from the definition of an investment advisor any broker or dealer that provides advisory services when such services are solely incidental to the conduct of their business and when such incidental advisory services are provided for no special compensation. That's a lot of, of big words and fancy ways to say, but they do provide examples where you know, this would be consistent. So it's important for broker-dealers to kind of look through the illustrations that the SEC provides to make sure that they're complying in due time with the new requirements of Regulation BI. Well, like any uh, good program, uh, we're going to leave people with a cliffhanger because I think there's also uh, in, in the interpretive release uh, some changes for investment advisors. But since we don't have time to squeeze that in, I'm going to ask you to tell us where people can get a hold of you, phone or email, so that we can follow up and have more detailed discussions about uh, the changes and maybe any other assistance they might need in this area. Absolutely. The number I can best be reached at is area code 312 219 2929, um, and then S. Bonamassa at com. Well, uh, boy, very, very grateful to the time spent today with Samantha. And uh, again, just hit lavellelaw.com. Uh, you'll, you'll find our profile, get all that information shared. Uh, Samantha, I want to thank you for being with us. Look forward to future conversations. And again, lavellelaw.com or 847-705-7555 for the main number. Thanks so much for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.